What's up, humans? Welcome back to The Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain, and this is episode 81, Shoes on Collaboration, Label Releases, and Production Music. This week, our guest is my longtime friend, Shoes. Hailing from the Pacific Northwest, the multi-talented producer joined the class of 808 in 2019 and has honed his sound into a fusion of bass, trap, and other dance elements that will take any listener on a journey through space and time. Chooses fresh off the release of our first collab release, a remix of Spiderhound's tune I Love You Like that just dropped as part of the remix of Dojo Classic EP on the Producer Dojo label. We talked about falling in love with music using reference tracks for arranging and mixing, drum sequencing techniques, label releases, production music catalogs, collaboration, and the behind the scenes process for this new release. Our song of the week, of course, is Spiderhound, I Love You Like, the Luke Brandon Shoes remix. We got all the links for that below. You can hear it behind me right now. Go support that, please. Buy it on Beatboard to help us get up the charts. The entire EP is fire. I highly recommend that. Uh, or you can buy it on Bandcamp or stream it on Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. Appreciate y'all for that. Also, support our sponsors. First up, Dojo TV. That's where we recorded this, and there's tons of other free producer livestream classes from the Producer Dojo Senseis. Also, the weekly download where you can learn from Ill Gates himself and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 250 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. And guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. We talked about him a lot in this episode. Shoes and I and Tesco and Rip Kenny were all talking about how much we learn from the Approach Institute and from Seth Drake. So those links are down below. You can get our website at thehumanmusicpodcast.com. Follow us at thehumanmusicpodcast or at humanmusicpod on Twitter. Now let's get into this episode, all right? Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus. And you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Human Music Podcast. I like it. Yo, what's up, Dojo TV? Shouts to all our ninjas. Shouts out to the humans out out. here representing producer Dojo because we got the one and only shoes on the podcast today. Yeah. Point, 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 point. Dropping bombs on him. What's up, Shoes? How you doing, buddy? Good. Good to be here, guys. Yeah, good to have you, man. Thanks uh, for coming on. Yeah. Me and Shoes have known each other for years. We met at a Levitate show in Seattle and uh, and smoked a bowl in the snow together and have been homies making music ever since. And really excited that we got our first official collab release out and it's on the dojo. So double whammy. Super pumped about that. Ooh, we'll definitely... Me talk about that tune on the remix ep a little more but first as with all our guests we like to start by asking shoes what is your superhero origin story how did you become the awesome producer you are today yeah uh first off uh i would say you know it's just years of you know trials and tribulations but you gotta love music you know uh 
whether it's playing a, an instrument or listening to music or, you know, just understanding how music is composed. I think if you can fall in love with one of those avenues, it'll help you, you know, spark ideas. For me, I've taken many different music courses. I've watched YouTube videos, but really what honed in my sound and the networking was definitely working with the producer dojo and, and all the senses. And that is, I would say, my superhero origin story in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, man, that's what's up. So let's, let's go a little deeper, though. You know, yeah. like I know, yeah. you know, we got we got time. It's a podcast. Like what, oh, yeah. you know, what were some of the earliest, you know, musical things? Like, did you ever play any instruments? Was it straight into production? Was DJing first? You know, I know you have multiple talents, but what, yeah. what came first? Yeah, so my mom was a piano instructor when I grew up. And she taught me like basic, you know, uh, chord progressions and how to play the piano. And I really fell in love with it. I was helping her train some people that came in through her house. Um, but I fell out of it for, you know, five or six years through high school playing sports. And it uh, got rekindled when I moved to Seattle. And one of my friends, Connor Holden, uh, shout out Holden Music. He was a, a DJ in Seattle playing at Aston Manor. And I enrolled in uh, Point Blake production music courses. And that's what really, you know, got me back into the music production I actually was able to visit their campus when I was living in London for work. So I got a tour of the Point Blank campus and that just really solidified it. Like I took a picture next to a frame of someone else's achievement, but just like setting a goal like, hey, eventually, you know, I'm going to have a plaque of something. So that's what really honed it in. And, you know, I took those courses, but it was really focused on just like house music, like European dance music. And it was enough to like understand arrangement, but I was missing a lot of the polishing and, you know, the more deeper dive techniques that I was able to get with the producer dojo. But I've been with the dojo close to three years now, and and that's been uh, probably the best part of the music journey so far. Yeah, amen to that. I, I feel the same way. I'd had plenty of uh, work I did before the dojo, but the work I've done in the dojo has... Uh, has had more weight to it because the instruction and the deep dives and the attention to detail and the community have all been stronger. Yeah, for sure. Do you still play the piano? Uh, I, I do. I'm right now I'm using this as my piano. Um, nice, nice. Uh, but I, Woo! you know, Red I, I need- Oh, look at you guys. <laughs> Twinsies. <laughs> I got my normie MPK somewhere. There we go. Yeah, can, can you tell we're friends? <laughs> my, my keyboard looks cooler, but like five of the keys, like right here, have beer like spilled. So all they over stick them. up. Uh, and it it came that way also because it was free from a friend. <laughs> so it's just been a great uh, organic twist to this MIDI keyboard. You know? Signature to the Rip Kenny sound. Of course. Of course. So five I'll, notes pressed yeah. down. All, all, all those now. melodies where you're like, oh, those super notes, chord. they just lag just perfectly. It's, what can I say? Hmm, yes, major uh, 13 sharp 11. Yeah. Nice choice. Stick, sticky beer music. Yeah, that's my music theory. The theory is just pour beer on the keyboard. Oh, yeah. What happens? But only, but only a few keys. Yeah, can't be yeah, all. yeah. I mean, it can't be all. Come on, you gotta, gotta, yeah. gotta have more randomness than that. <laughs> um, cool, man. So from Point Blank, and since you joined the dojo, I'm curious what are would have been some of like the bigger kind of concepts you've learned. What have been kind of the bigger level ups you've had in your time at the dojo? If mm-hmm. there are any like 
notable experiences or concepts that you picked up that you feel like really just changed, um, you know, the progress you were making? Yeah, definitely the beginner exercises around just the arrangement exercise and mud pie recipe. I had no idea those existed. And just being able to time myself and, you know, make sections and have it like a just an arrangement idea was a big breakthrough for me. And this isn't really a concept, but just the one on one sessions, being able just to, you know, interface with someone one on one really helped me break through because I could just go through a checklist of questions like, how do I do this? You know, how does this work? Um, but really what, you know, married it together well is when I also took courses through uh, the Approach Institute. So really honing in, mixing and and mastering, but paired with uh, the techniques that I learned from the dojo. Yeah, gotcha. shouts out to Seth Drake with the Approach Institute. Links down below in the description, everybody, if you want to go check out that. Um, solid course. Yeah. What, more, so like, more than solid. Yeah, than right. So, I mean, honestly, yeah, that watch, watching that is the reason I master my own music now. It's because mm-hmm. now I'm finally confident that I'm doing the right shit. Yeah. Yeah. Someone told me like 10 years ago, he's like, you just got a reference against a track. And I never did a reference track until I started, you know, going into the approach. Cause I was like, whatever, I'll just make it sound loud. Um, yeah, but that, you know, but being able to visually, you know, mix to another song and see where the gaps are in the frequency is really what connected all the dots for me. Yeah. That makes such a big difference. And, uh, I love Seth's like, I mean, it's literally called the approach for a reason because he approaches it, you know, a lot differently than a lot of the YouTube videos you'll find, you know, it's like yeah. there's so many things that try to give you these absolute one size fits all kind of ideas where it's like, Oh yeah, you want your kick exactly at this number and your snare at that number and your hi hats at this number. And then it'll sound good. But it's like, wait, what kick, what mm-hmm. hi hat, what's the frequency response? What's yeah. the transient mm-hmm. response? There's so many other questions that you have to ask to actually get the right answer that works for your song in your genre. And then that again is why a reference track is so important. Like if you're making music that needs to fit in with some noisia reference noisia, if you're trying to make music that fits with Bob Dylan, please don't reference noisia. The drum (laughs) response needs to be totally different for sure. I mean, I'm kind of curious how that would sound now. (laughs) Fucking forget blowing in the wind, blowing my mind and blowing my speakers. (laughs) (laughs) yes well dude shoes so like when when we were on tour in montana you always i feel like you were always working on like uh like little beats and stuff you're always like throwing together like yeah like lose i feel like you always had your laptop open with some like little fire beat you were working on or like just some sort of like 30 second little motif um is that kind of A, is that, you know, something that you would say is true? Is that part of your production process, always making little stuff? And and what is your kind of daily or um, what is your routine for making music? Yeah, uh, that beat like loop idea really came from the arrangement exercise and just trying to do like, you know, timing yourself to make a track. Um, And if it didn't like fit my style, I would just create another loop until I could, you know, expand on it and create a full song. But as far as my daily process, uh, you know, to be transparent, I work outside of music too. So, you know, just finding time when I can do it. But even if it's 10 minutes a day to an hour a day, whether, you know, it's coming up with a new idea or mixing down something else, as long as you're just daily doing it, I think that just creates momentum for yourself. Because there's not really 
an end goal. It's like, if you have a vision of where you want to be and you just keep doing little things every day, you're going to get there. You know, setting goals is important, but the only way you can reach the goal is if you do daily things. Right. So that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. And how do you, how do you kind of uh, plan out the trajectory of what you're trying to accomplish? Um, and I ask that because uh, I feel like some producers become, um, uh, you know, they don't have that like confidence to trust their own ears. And so they're always asking um, questions like, how do you pick the right samples? How, how do, basically, how do you do this thing correctly? Not realizing yeah. that there's like multiple ways to do it. How did you, um, I guess, uh, find like a path for yourself to figure out first off what you wanted to work on and then like actually mm-hmm. like implement that? Or did you take more of like a freehand approach and just show up every day, do it and yeah. shit clicks? Yeah, some days it's just writing and sound design, but generally what gets any idea started is making a drum loop based upon like uh, a instrument. So I have samples that I've purchased, um, whether you know it's splice or you know making my own s- samples that have good audio, which really starts with that. You know, if you have high fidelity samples, you don't have to worry about the, you know the post production work. But when I can hear like a synth loop or something like i started to track yesterday that kind of sounds like a grizz vibe like 80 bpm but i found a you know just a piano loop in there and it just triggered you know i heard the drum loop in my head um i've always wanted to play drums and i don't really get to so i do it in ableton but that always spurs an idea because you know i like movement of the drums and if you can create a cool drum loop right you can put a lot of stuff uh on top of that yeah, that is totally. definitely something we've touched on a lot uh, in the past on this podcast, but it's been a minute since you brought <laughs> it up. So I'm glad to bring it back up. Like if you make drums that really work, it's so much easier to make the rest of the track work. And like, no matter how cool your melody is, if the drums are trash, it's just not going to make anybody dance and we're making <laughs> dance music. So like, yeah, I like that. Like, um, and, and to get the... to get the drums based off like some loop spark, you know, some spark and then hearing what, okay, if I'm starting with this part, what rhythm, what drum Mm -hmm. tones, and you've already got your key, you can make drums that tonally fit in the key that you're working in too. I think that's something a lot of early producers just don't even think to think about. It's like what you don't know, you don't even know, right? Like, you know, that, that drums also have a tone and that tone, needs to fit in with the tonal, uh, you know, the tonal harmony of the track itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my my biggest takeaway um, from that question that you asked me, Tesco, is now that I'm making music and just advice for everyone else, just find a song that you like, that you want to produce, like buy it, throw it in your DAW, try to recreate the song. It's not going to sound exactly like it, but now you have a layout for an mm-hmm. idea. And that what helps me like get over creative block, because sometimes I'll just sit in front of my DAW and listen to samples. I'm like, I'm not motivated. I'll just go find a song that I like, download it, throw it in Ableton and just start recreating parts of it. Yeah. yeah, dude. Honestly, early on, that was how I got probably my favorite stuff that I made is like you, you get inspired by something and you like try and recreate a part of it. It ends up sounding like completely different, like not even like the same song. And you're like, oh, well, this is actually inspiring me to do this other thing. And then you just like start making music, right? Mm-hmm. Like however that spark comes about, doesn't really matter but that is one of the easiest ways to get something moving for you yeah Yeah. and the uh putting putting that that track in there is 
it hits it's like an arrow that hits multiple targets one it takes away the blank daw because that's like the thing that kills everybody is like oh it's completely empty where to even start there's an infinity of possibilities you make this one choice it's going to be like this song now you got your bpm you got your arrangement and you have a reference track which you already talked about how important that is like just to measure up your sound choice sonically to measure up your your arrangement your leveling your mixing your mastering there's like so many places that that one simple decision helps you move along from the start all the way to the finish of the track yeah for sure uh, I wanted to ask on that note of drums, what are yeah. some of your favorite drum techniques or is there any like signature stuff you like to do basically in all your tracks when it comes to drums? Yeah, now that I've, you know, have like a, a standard, I guess I set for myself on what I want it to sound like. Um, I'll do a lot of snare staggering and like turn the velocity down of a mm -hmm. snare hit right after another one. So it kind of sounds like a hat almost, but it's just another snare hit. But I do the pretty same type of drums every time I'll have, you know, I make a lot of stuff in 140 and 150, you know, a kick, you know, um, you know, every couple beats, a snare in between, but just being able to put like a snare texture on there, like using uh, some erosion and just put that on the high frequencies and maybe turn the vinyl up a little bit that creates some texture in the snare itself. Um, mm -hmm. Usually with those are the two elements that I use for my drums. and then just sprinkle in percussion and hats as I see fit with, with the arrangement unfolding. Cool. I like that you said like uh, you have a typical process, it seems, when you go about doing things. Mm -hmm. um, you want to, if you have any words, like talk a little more about how you kind of found your own process. Because um, yeah. one thing I'm, I'm always encouraging people and same with uh, these two guys, obviously, is like figuring out exactly what you're trying to do and then like executing on that. But um, again, I feel like there's some confusion when it comes to that. Like people don't trust their own ears enough. They don't know like yeah. what are the right things to pick. How did uh how did you kind of find your style, your your formula? Yeah, definitely. Um I got some good feedback when I first started the JoJo from um from uh Hexus from uh him and he was giving me input around, you know, if you can just set a snare, you know, every two and four and just to get your drum loop started that'll keep, you know, people dancing and on rhythm, you know, cause then you can choose where the kicks happen in between that. And you have a solid drum foundation. And generally that's what I do to start. Like if, after I've got like the, you know, the four bar loop, then I'll move stuff around, maybe put a delay uh, mm. on it, one of the snares. But I think if you just have a recipe that you use, you can always tweak it, you know, but at least you have it saved away. Maybe you have like a MIDI drum folder with the different drum loops that you've made. I always think it's important to save stuff like that and revisit it. Cause if you don't, then it's like, you have to go back to that project file. You have to copy out the drum loop you did and repurpose it somewhere else. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are there, are there any other places? Cause I completely agree. Like taking that time to take what you've already done, that's working for you and, and put it in your library somehow to make it accessible. That's like so huge. Uh, are there any other places besides like saving MIDI patterns that that you found that have been really helpful, uh, like <clears throat> saving and repurposing your whether it's like racks or loops or whatever? Yeah, so definitely with with racks and loops. But I also when I first started production, I took screenshots of ones that I found online for the genres I wanted to make. <laughs> if you type in Ableton, you know, drum loops and go to images on Google, 
it'll have like little drum loops or videos of, you know, how to get started. And that's what I did, you know, originally to figure out what a drum loop was like for house, um, what I originally started doing. But I would say, you know, saving it to uh, a rack, like you were mentioning, Luke, or um, some other template that you have is is great to get started because then you can just open your template. You already have your racks in there, um, your earlier pads that you're using for your kicks and snare, and then you don't have to recreate it every time you're going into the top. Yeah, yeah, one thing that I've always, um, I think I, I kind of forgot about this until you just mentioned like saving, like this kind of thing is um, saving a drum groove. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you just came up with like the most fire kick pattern that just like has an insane pocket, like just save save that MIDI as a groove that you can apply to to later stuff. And then even if your kicks aren't in all the same spots, like it'll still move just the ones that it had MIDI information for, right? So then you can get like even more interesting variations on that. And that's like, that's one thing I always, I like four years ago, I did that all the time. And now I just end up dragging stuff around until it sounds right. I need to do that more often, but it's always a really helpful tip as well. Yeah. For me, I'm a big notes person. So (laughs) I have, Google notes for everything and anything, probably a bad thing, but it's always good to, you know, take notes of what you're doing. So if you do forget it or have to revisit it, you have it saved somewhere, you know, and uh, just a good advice for people on the, on the line. So, um, Do you, do you have like a main note document that you put all your info in that you revisit or do you just like keep notes for the practice of like taking notes? So, so both Tesco. So like, Anytime I do classes or like watch videos, I take notes so I can consume it, but then I'll also have it to revisit it so I can mentally ingrain it in my brain. And then eventually it just becomes habit, you know? Uh, Yeah, I feel you. That's what's up. Um, So, you know, obviously you've talked about like working with producer Dojo, but I know you've also done some solo releases as well and also worked with some other labels. I'd love to hear about uh, some of the other projects that you've worked with and uh, and how those came about, how those went. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with uh, the most recent one was with uh, my buddy Kilohertz. Shout out Kilohertz. uh, Part of Death Collective in Boise. Um, but that was a release I did with one of my friends. We went to high school together, actually played football together and he's grown up playing music his whole life. He, he's played in a fiddle junkies banjo band. So he's very musically talented. So he really inspires a lot of like the melodies and sound design in tracks that we've worked on together. And him and I were just like, we already have our side project Dos Amigos might as well create a track individually together. So we came out with a song called something trippy. Uh, it's on Spotify. It's a weird wonky track, but a lot of low end and like fuzzy bass noises on top. Uh, but that was a super fun one to make. He lives like a couple miles away from me. So we meet like once a week to work on music. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's one of them. Uh, bass Therapy was the last label release I did before that. They're out of Seattle. That was my first track I released to Shoes. It's called Got Shoes, um, funny enough. Um <laughs> found some samples that talk about, you know, shoes. And those are like little ad libs sprinkled in the track. And that was like my f- first song of shoes. It was great. Yeah. That's what's up. Shout out to bass therapy. They had a, a running weekly and monthly bass nights that were super fun. And, uh, and actually, uh, one of my favorite shows that I ever played was when, uh, 
we, uh, the four of us, the me, you, Rip Kenny, and uh, and Tyson Nintendo all played at their base cave event in in the fall of 2019. That was one of the baddest asses shows. There's so many people <laughs> there. Great, me and Rip Kenny went back to back, and then Shoes and Nintendo went back to back. Yeah, tore that place down. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was, was super fun. fun. <laughs> Yo, so you mentioned you mentioned the Dos Amigos project. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to touch on kind of the origins of that and what you guys have done with that project. Because I feel like you guys have taken that pretty far, right? You, didn't you just play a show down in like Mexico or something? So we played at Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho. It's a similar festival to like Bumper Shoot in Seattle. It's an urban festival. Um, but him and I uh, started making music together probably like four or five years ago we were at a silent disco when i was producing a shoebox him and i were both djing separately and then we were just super drunk in the tent at the night we're like dude should we just like start a band called dos amigos but put the e at the end and say follow us and you'll get a dose of music and it just like inspired the project and the theme is you know trippy dia de los muertos skulls and very like bright colors uh planning a photo shoot here soon uh just to get some more uh, uh, images and stuff for our EPK and stuff. But that's been a, a fun project. It's all trippy bass uh, and like psychedelic house music, which is super fun. Yeah, super fun. Sets. Sounds awesome. I, uh, I also love your guys branding with like the psychedelic, like super colorful melting Dia de los Muertos skulls and stuff. Like, Got my got my Dos Amigos shirt for sure that I rock. Oh, yeah. Love that shit. Appreciate that. Yeah, shouts to Jose. Good people. And uh, yeah, um, I remember also one of the tunes that that stuck with me uh, was your tune "Fire in the Hole." Yeah, that was that was uh, I so I was Shoemox when I released that track, and I tried to edit it to say shoes, and it's kind of funky. Like it's one of my probably best tracks, but I collaborated with Rico act before he got really huge and did, you know, break your fucking head bitch with, um, uh, can't remember the name right now. Um, but yeah, that rail breakers track. Yeah. Rail breakers. Yeah. That's the name of it. And that was, that song went off and, you know, I worked with him, paid him some money for the vocals and released the track, but that was a super fun process. Shout out to levitate for helping me master that one. Uh, but that was my first track ever that I released, uh, as Schumach. So that was a, a fun one also. Yeah, that one that one was a blast. Great vocal. The drop was super fun. And you did a remix contest for it. Yeah, yeah. Remix contest had like eight or ten entries. Uh picked like the winner. They got some swag and a release on the uh base therapy label. Yeah, that's what's up. I remember I, I also threw my hat in the ring for that remix yeah, contest. I had a blast making it. Yeah. I, I realized though when I bounced the stems and gave them to everyone, they were fucked up on the warping. So I had like five people email me like, hey, can you resend these? Like, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so lesson learned there. Bounce your stems right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely one of those. You only got to learn it once type of lessons, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you never forget it that way, at least. <laughs> Dude, and stems are weird. Like it, when you're like when you're bouncing them, sometimes like the way that the process, like if you have a master bus processing and if you choose to just like solo a stem rather mm -hmm. than like doing all selected tracks yes. individually or whatever, like the way that aud like the audio is printed is completely different. 
like does it go through the master does it go through the bus does it go through just the track alone mm-hmm. and so like i learned that one the hard way too like exporting stems like you got to you have to pull the stems back into another project and make sure it sounds the s- exact same before you then go okay these are the stems right because <laughs> I, honestly like half the time you realize like oh shit there was something on the master or, like oh shit i didn't do this or like yeah like you always got to double check that yeah stuff. or you or you or you bounce all the individual tracks in the group and the group and then it, <laughs> yeah. when you bring it in it's all double loud and <laughs> super confusing yeah, yeah that yeah. too yeah, hopefully this can uh, this can save one of our listener humans from that same mistake that clearly mm. we've all made. <laughs> um, one other one I wanted to talk about of your re- releases was Embrace that you released yeah. with Bass Cult last year. How that uh, how that collab release come out? Yeah, that one was that one was fun. Uh, shout out to Jesse for the artwork on that one. Um, yeah, super it's cool ass artwork. Ro- robot. Uh, person hugging someone else the songs embrace so i wanted people to feel like they're getting hugged by bass kind of mm. i don't know so that's kind of the that's vision that came to life with the artwork um but that one was through bass cult um i think space race manages that label um so just reached out to him through discord uh they do like releases and i just networked with them that way um got a spot uh, on their label but that was a very straightforward process you know he's super transparent and that was my first like you know, label where I had to email someone and like arrange things and it went good, but I've heard good and bad things about, you know, timing with different releases. So I'm glad my experience was, uh, went well. So, yeah, that's always the toughest part. I mean, honestly, that's one of the biggest reasons that I just self-release my stuff nowadays. Um, is, is like, you can't, there's no way to line up multiple labels and multiple releases on your schedule when mm-hmm. you're, you know, signing up to be a part of their schedule, you know, yeah, there's just exactly. no way you can line it up to be nice and clean and come out when you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, have you done a lot of, or any self-releasing as well? Yeah. Um, I have a couple of tracks right now that I'm thinking about doing that with my first couple were, were all solo, um, releases and I think I've done three label releases, but I do agree with you, you know, get your name out there. You control your schedule, your Spotify you know, account, uh, like you're not being released on half of the label. It's through your own sound. But, uh, for me, I was really focused on just doing label releases and I thought that was the way, you know, yeah. but, um, I, I, I do agree with you on like self-releases can, can help you more than hurt you. So. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but, uh, okay. So would you say that the, the tracks that you've released through a label, um, would you say that you got the benefit from that label that that you expected or or do you think uh um self-releasing is is better to have it on your own schedule like what what were the benefits of of each way yeah so the benefits for label releasing you definitely get the marketing and promo efforts and their fan base listening to your music um for self-releases the pros i would think is you can schedule it when you want you can choose you who you're targeting um, and you can, you know, choose the quality of music too. Mm. Um, you know, some labels, uh, will boost the quality or reduce it. Um, but when you self-release, it's up to you. So, uh, I think there's more control, um, in that sense, but there's pros and cons to each. For me, when I was starting, I just wanted to get on some label releases. So I had that in my repertoire just to, you know, have it in the catalog. Um, but 
you know, as I'm releasing more music, I have more ideas and I don't have time to, you know, get on the wait list and say, Hey, I'm here. So, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I actually have a question for every single person on this podcast. Has anyone here actually received any amount of money over five or $10 from any song that they've ever signed to a record label? No, 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 me neither. Yeah. And, and like, even though like some of them have definitely made more than five or $10, like I've never seen a single penny. So to all our newbie producers out there, run and never look back before. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, to, to be honest, when you, when you self-release a song and then it actually does do well, and you see a real amount of money in your DistroKid account, you're like, holy fuck. Yeah. I'm going to treat myself to two coffees. Yeah. yeah. When I, when I released yeah. Standby um, a couple years ago, that was a self-release and I made 60 bucks through DistroKid. Hey. So that was like, that was sweet. I was like, there 40, you go, dude. Streams. Woo. <laughs> yeah. It, honest, That's solid. Honestly, like as a person that knows a fair amount about like where music money comes from, it, has really floored me to see how many people that say they're a record label have no idea where the music money comes from. Like I'm, I feel like an amateur when I talk to some people I know in that realm. And then I talk to other people who they're like, I'm a record label and, a, and, a, and I'm a publisher and I'll publish your music and release it for you. And then I ask them some real basic questions and they have no idea <laughs> what they're talking about and make me feel like an expert. And it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty bad industry wide. Most people don't know where the money comes from, but like, you know, I love EDM and I love the scene in the community, but the, uh, the awareness of how music money works is especially bad in the EDM scene. Yeah. So all of, all of that to say, just be like everyone out there, just be a, like, especially conscious of the fact of the choice that you're making is gain a user base, a listenership from that label and expect to receive no money or the opposite. You got to find the user base, the listenership yourself, but you can actually recoup the cost. Mm -hmm. And there's something else to be uh, cognizant of is for, okay, what are you getting in return for signing away some of your rights to the music? Are they like, are you signing away the master recording? Are you signing Mm. away the publishing money? Right? Like, all of these things are are worth something if the music makes money. But then compared to what you might have made if you solo release this track, how much is this label spending on promotion of your track? And if they're gonna if they're down to put some money behind promotion, it'll probably easily outweigh the money you would have got back from DistroKid and ASCAP unless this song blows way the fuck up. And if it does blow way up because of their promotion and you get a shit ton of new listeners and Spotify followers and people that want to come to your show and people who see you as legitimate, that might be completely worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just in the kind of the same vein of just like the music industry, like back end with like royalties, um, just for everyone listening, get registered with a PRO, whether it's BMI, ASCAP, et cetera. And then also sign up for SongTrust. They do international streaming collection. So if your music's on Spotify and you see it played in different countries, they can help with collecting royalties there. So just something I learned from a production music conference. Luke and I and Jose went to that a couple years uh, ago. And just learning about like how collections happen from the back end 
uh, just recommend signing up for those two accounts. Yeah, actually, that perfectly segues into the next thing I was going to bring up. Uh, Speaking of production music and us going to that, we met uh, somebody that works for um, that has a company called Epitome Music that is a production music library. And I know that you've been fairly successful at getting on a few of their production music albums. Uh, I'd love for you to talk about your experience with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It took me like five or six different, um, you know, uh, submittals to get accepted. And I found out that they really liked the lo-fi that I made and it, you know, triggered some cool, you know, ideas for me. So I've started making lo-fi for them specifically. Um, did challenge me more to like make slower drums, you know, more ambient sounds like in the drop, just like listening music that you listen to if you're studying for a test or something, but all, you know, five or six of my tracks that go to them, they all get stemmed out. And if they get repurposed for like TV or radio or like an ad, you know, that's just another way to, to get your, your, your sound spread. Yeah. Have you uh, had any placements uh, from those albums yet? No, I make about 40 cents a quarter right now from people listening to them just because music directors listen to them in Spotify. So nothing has hooked yet, but I've only worked with them for a couple of years. So yeah, um, eventually. Yeah. Yeah, and from yeah. from what we heard when we uh, we had an episode with oh man, why am I forgetting his name? Ben uh, J. Rhythm Rhythm J. Yeah, yeah. Rhythm <laughs> J. Uh, the boy, shout out. Yeah, shouts <laughs> to Rhythm J, who has hundreds or thousands of beats in production libraries, and now is getting like a, a lot to it. You know, he was like, you know what, just like put your best stuff out there, get it out there, keep getting it out there, and then don't worry about it. Like it's their job now to make it work. It was your job to make it and send it and now forget about it until the checks roll in. And mm-hmm. so like for anybody who's interested in production music, getting into catalogs, getting into TV music, like patience, you know, work hard on the front end on the part you can control and then have patience. Yeah. And Luke uh, sprinkled a good metaphor. The first time I met him, he said, music is like planting a seed, you know, how whenever you finish a song and put it away, whether it's, you know, Spotify or a music collective or a label, you're just planting seeds and eventually one of them is going to sprout. So that's always like positive reinsurement for me because we're all just out here because we love music. So, you know, treat it, you know, as fun. Yeah. Right. Like make the music because you love making the music because it's what you do. And then, you know, put it the best place you can put it the most fertile soil you think is good for that song, whether it's a self-release or a label release or production music. And then, don't stress over that one seed too much because you'll you'll go crazy. <laughs> but uh, now I really want to talk about our new tune, dude. I love yeah. you like oh, Spiderhound yeah. remix. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I know we were. You know, we got uh, a Dojo TV whole takeover coming up. Uh, that's that's going to have a bunch of content from us, but. I'd love to talk about that process with you here too, of, of how we, how we uh, put that song together. So I, I'd love you to start out with your, your memory of how that all went down. Yeah. It, this was from the catalog of, I think songs we labeled as like bad songs or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Luke was like just starting to like get into EDM music and I was very inexperienced in making EDM music. So we we're just trying to make as many ideas as we could just had like a catalog of songs and it just collected dust for a couple of years. Uh, 
And then the remix uh, a Dojo Classic Cypher came out and we're like, oh, let's uh, look through our tracks and see if we have anything that we could submit. Um, we went into Splice because Spiderhand was like, hey, you should just find some vocals in Splice. Uh, and the, literally the third vocal that we searched, like in C minor, whatever the key it was, that vocal came up. We're like, oh, we're, we're doing this. And it wasn't even on the list of like songs to remix. We just reached out to Dylan and Ill Gates and uh, Spiderhound on it. And they're like, yeah, feel free to remix it. We're down with it. Uh, and then after, you know, months of working on it and getting to where it is, uh, it made its way out to the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, like funny anecdote on that. Like we hadn't heard back on, we heard that it made the mixtape for the SoundCloud, but you know, that's not an official release that only goes on the, you know, 20 or 30 minute mixtape on SoundCloud and it's dope promotion It's an honor to be a part of it, but that still means we got to release the track. And so we had that version that made that mixtape. And then we were like, okay, I guess we should put this out then. You know, and I did a couple little mix tweaks. We set it up for Spotify release. And then like a couple of days before the Spotify release, we got word that it was in consideration for the full Dojo EP release, like official label release. And we we're like, oh, yes, but that means quick, quick, delete it from Spotify before it comes <laughs> out. Don't tell anybody. It It actually hit Spotify for one day before the delete like fully took effect. Oh it was just God, like, shh, so just don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and it went away. And then we ended up like completely reworking the song from there. Like yeah. both drops are completely different. The intro's different. The breakdown, like the whole song, like the the bones of the beat are still there. Like the, the groove and the... um and the like the string sample that's in the background and shit the subs like that's pretty much the same but like all of the leads are have been reworked multiple times and completely redone so you never know like that's that's one of the big lessons i learned from this tune is that like you never know you know if your song is done and sometimes you think it's done and then it comes full circle a whole nother time you know first it was just like oh maybe this is like I guess this could be like a beat or something because it's not really working as an EDM song. And then it collected dust. And then it was like, oh, hey, accidentally it can work for this remix EP or this remix cypher. And then, oh, shit, it's going to be on the EP. And then, oh, crap, it's a, a whole different song now. <laughs> yeah. Like, and between that journey. time of us like taking it down and being accepted for the EP, we learned so much more between that time and like leveled up our skill set. So, I mean, it was... I'm glad that that happened because we just were able to make it that much better. Yeah, it's so much of a better song. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, uh, like what stuff changed from that initial release to the one that you guys ended up uploading? Besides everything? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but I like, mean, like, what, what was it specifically that you look at now and you're like, thank God that wasn't part of it. Like, we did this so much better in this version. Yeah, I think Luke spearheaded uh, changing... Uh, some of the vocal samples and making it more of like a Diplo style lead, uh, working with getting feedback on that and really making the, the drop come alive. Uh, and then just some subtle changes to the breakdown and different drum elements to push them far away. So give it space for like a breakdown. And then when it comes back to the drop, you know, the, the kicks are, are super in your face. And that, those for me were the biggest things, but Luke, what, what about you? Yeah, uh, that whole like Diplo style chop, like the, if you listen to the song now, the main lead that goes through both drops was not there. Like we made it out of the vocal sample, but like it wasn't there at all. Like the, the, it was kind of 
written more like a pop song in that we were just like using that vocal pretty normally over and over and like the first drop it was like oh it has more space and it's like little chops of the vocal and a couple of the original vocal chops we had made uh in the original beat way back when interspersed and then the second drop it dropped in and it was like basically the chorus over and over but pitched up and it was cool it was all right it was good enough we thought but then Dylan gave us that advice, like, what about a Diplo style chop? And and so it was like, okay, cool. The first half of drop two will be the Diplo chop. And then I showed it to Tesco and he was like, yeah, but dude, that's the best part of the song. You should like <laughs> use that more. And then so I reworked it all again to like have that be both parts, like basically the lead of both of the drops and deleted a bunch of the other vocal chops. And that was one of my big lessons is like, if you find a better way, like don't hold the old way you did it precious. Like if the new way you're doing it is better, <laughs> just delete that old shit. Who cares? Like mm-hmm. uh, we replaced it. It's better now. Uh, so shouts to Dylan, shouts to Tesco, you know, getting, getting feedback from your friends okay. is, uh, <laughs> that, is huge. That uh, comment you made about uh, my precious reminded me of Lord of the Rings. Precious. <laughs> my precious vocal drops. <laughs> but yeah, and then and then taking like yeah, taking the time. One last thing, Evan, and I'll, and I'll yeah, get back to you. But uh, like yeah, uh, Dylan, like taking. We had this like breakdown in the outro, and like the drums were like big and epic. And we had all these like cymbal crashes and shit. I was like, yeah, this is like this part. And then it goes into that and then it comes back and it was like, it's halftime here and it's full time over there. So it's different. But Dylan noted that like, you know, it's like you have the intro and then it drops in and like the high end elements hit this level of intensity. And then it's like two straight minutes of that. And so like, what if like the breakdown and the outro, we just filter out the whole drum bus and like have that filter move a little bit, but like basically like take all of the highs out and it like really made the drops come alive when the, the breakdown contrasted like that. Yeah. Classic trick. Such yeah. a, such a good like way to get contrast and simple, right? Like yeah. it, we didn't have to rework everything. We didn't have to resequence the drums. It was just like, Oh no, leave them exactly how they are. Throw a filter on the shit. Oh God, that's yeah. good. Dude. That's so funny. When, when me and Dylan were doing the Nazi punks fuck off remix, there was like the second buildup. We were like trying to figure out a way to like make the like the last little bit of the second buildup like work better and like tried to make it like more expansive and like it was just like no, it's too messy. He's like, oh, let's just put a low pass on the master and then just like do a sweep on the master. And like <laughs> I would never think to do that ever. And like he did it and like it totally worked. And we we're like, well, there it is done sometimes it's the simplest solutions that are the most effective that you can easily overlook because you're like nah that i can't do that i can't (laughs) do the easy thing dude no way even if the easy thing sounds the best you like don't want to even go there because you're like too in your head about it right but yeah so funny i'm really trying to train myself to like default to what is the easiest possible thing that sounds the best Mm. So it's like uh, the equivalent of like showing up to work and your boss is like, you can fill out this survey for your full <laughs> day's pay or you can pour these like 20 bags of cement and all the proud producers are like, yep, sign me up. I'll take the cement, please. I'll take the back breaking <laughs> like, option, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, man, just do the survey. Get on with it. <laughs> yeah. 
Because yeah. nobody gives a fuck how many hours you spent off the song. They just care, does it sound good or not? Is it <laughs> yeah. my vibe or not? I can start it. labeling my songs 40-hour whip. <laughs> <laughs> a, I could be every single one for me, dude. <laughs> um, so you guys, you guys are, are two people that have, have been frequent collaborators, um, worked on a bunch of tunes together. How uh, how has that process gone, and and like what have you learned about collaboration, or any tips that you can share about how to be efficient collaborators with someone? Yeah, um, sharing creative space with someone is pretty interesting. Um, I've had it fail before. Obviously, it worked very well with Luke, um, but him and I are are friends outside of music too. Like we've done yoga together, we get food together, and we treat every session like we're hanging out normally. But the bulk of the time is making music, you know, but taking breaks, you know, doing stuff outside together. That's just what helped us have like organic relationship for the most part. Yeah. And right along with that, like not putting some like big high expectation of what our sessions need to like result in. Yeah. Yeah. Or need to be to be worthwhile. Like remembering that like, oh, like we like each other. We're friends. Hanging out is worthwhile any music that ever gets released is a super bonus. And just the fact that we like both got to spend time practicing, making music, practicing, collabing with each other is, is a gift and it all adds up and you never know where, you know, it's like we could have been bummed that, that, that session where we first made this beat, like didn't, you know, Oh, it didn't come out, you know, a year and a half later, it still hadn't come out. And then, Oh, we reworked it again. And then like, it took another year and a half for the shit to come out but it's okay like because we're friends and we enjoyed doing it and we kept, we keep learning and we do have this whole like stack of cool tunes that we could still come out with. I know Evan's got opinions that one called who you're going to call needs to come the fuck out. And it is now top of our list to work on in our next so session. That's so fucking funny, dude. I was, I was seconds, seconds <laughs> From mentioning that, I was oh, like, like, I can while you, see it while on I got the you both on tongue. the call. You motherfuckers got to finish. Like, <laughs> I was about to say that shit. That is so funny. Yeah, um, but it's also it's it's funny how obvious it is when you're just already friends with someone. What the dynamic in the studio yeah. should be, right? Yeah. And then when you sit down to write music with someone you're not friends with, mm-hmm. like it's not as obvious. You're more worried about the things that don't matter. And and I think the takeaway is. If you cultivate a friendship, if you cultivate a, a good atmosphere, the good music will come. Yeah. Right? If if you're having fun together, the good music will come. But if you're <laughs> too worried about staring at the computer screen and telling him, no, move that note, no, the other way, no, no, the other note. Like, <laughs> that shit's going to kill the session, dude. Like, it doesn't matter that much. Like, yeah. you got to, like, have fun. Totally. Yeah. And I think... Just like advice on collabing, let both people drive, you know, people have their own creative freedom. And if it's just one person driving the whole time, only one person's benefiting. So yeah, and that happens a a lot when it's like a a newer producer and and a more established producer or someone that's like obviously more experienced than the other that they feel like they should drive the whole time. (laughs) The other person just gets input like, dude, the beginner mindset of like, well, what if we did this? Like, it's the same thing with the low pass filter on the master. Like I would never do that shit. Cause I'm just like, mm, I don't think that's what you do. Right. But those are the thoughts that fuck up the good ideas. Mm-hmm. The, 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 why don't we just do this? 
you shouldn't do that. Well, why not? Like that, that, those are the things that actually yield the most interesting results. And so what you, what you said is like perfectly true. Like let the beginner run the computer for a little bit too, like in that relationship, because they'll probably do a bunch of stuff that you're like, wow, I never would have thought to do that. And then it like might spark your, uh, your idea for something else. And like, like you said, yeah, let both people drive evenly. Yeah. Yeah. I think like with that, like there's a certain amount of patience you just got to have, like not be so dead bent on like getting to the place I think it's supposed to be because the (laughs) point is like the long-term point, have that long view of like the point here is to, for both of us to get better and to build this relationship. Cause if we both have fun today, making this tune, no matter how good or bad it is, or if it comes out, we'll want to do this again. And then we'll Mm -hmm. come back and we'll come back. And the more we sit down and do it, the better we'll learn each other's styles, each other's strengths, communication styles between us, you know? And like, that's what we took the time to build. Like it was like, okay, first few, we just made some really, some weird little beats. Some of them were okay. Some of them were whack, but we had fun either way. And we just built our little folder up and it got into medium folder and then became kind of a big folder. And eventually, you know, one of them really hit and kind of on the heels of that, we got a couple more that are also really close. Um, I think I would say like, I can think right off the top of like three tunes that yeah. we got in the wings that are all probably, probably worthy of a release. We just got to figure out how to put those final touches on them. So we're both really happy with the final product. For sure. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's close out with like, you know, as, as somebody who's now been producing for a while, you've got some releases under your belt. Like what would you tell, you know, somebody who was in your position from a few years ago, or what would you go back and tell yourself from a few years ago, uh, to, you know, you know, maybe get over, you know, avoid a mistake or get over a hump or whatever. Like what, what would you tell a newer producer right now? Yeah, similar themes to what we've been talking about tonight. I think the biggest thing is don't get frustrated and, you know, hung up on this ultimate, you know, famous thing that you have to be, you know, everyone's in the music journey for what they want to be in it for, you know, and however much effort you put into it, that's what the fruition is going to be. But as far as like, you know, advice, I would say you should, everyone should get training, you know, where no one knows everything. So whether it's, you know, a daily video you watch signing up for the dojo, uh, getting mixing and mastering classes. Like there's so much that you can learn. And if you're too arrogant to do that, you know, you're not going to evolve. Some people are naturally gifted and can, you know, figure it out themselves, but that's not everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, network, like uh, if you have people that you can send your music to, that'll give you good feedback, you should use that channel um, to get your music heard. Cause if you're the only person listening to it, um, it's, you're going to be the only person. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a really, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if you're the only one listening to it, it's only going to be as good as your own skills, which right now as a beginner aren't great. And so if you don't get better ears on it, then it's not going to get out to the people. Even if you release it, people are not going to want to listen. Right. Yeah. Sh- <laughs> that's- Thanks. That's a funny one to end on too, because in two weeks we're going to be doing a Dojo TV live episode where we play like the first tracks we ever made <laughs> yeah. and, and roast them live. And those were all no feedback, 
only only yourself. <laughs> this is pretty good. I think this is gonna get signed to a label. <laughs> so, perfect precursor to to next time as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. dude. Thank you, thank you for joining us, man. This is of course. Appreciate Thanks it. so much. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, I appreciate you. And we gotta uh, we gotta figure out a time to go finish. Uh, who you gonna call? <laughs> yeah, you so we'll do. get on that Google Calendar soon. Yeah, and if you need someone to give you a feedback on it <laughs> that's you little your boy <laughs> that's you. all right <laughs> that tunes fire all right that's that's a binding verbal contract uh <laughs> recorded in the ether yeah yeah well all right peace out humans and See what else peace among worlds evil space lord laugh trailing out into the distance All right, humans, thank you so much for being here with us. We highly appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. You know, make sure to go follow us on these socials at The Human Music Podcast or at Human Music Pod on Twitter. You can support our sponsors, Dojo TV. I remember that's where we, you know, recorded this one. And you could be every other Tuesday in the chat with us dropping memes and joking around uh, asking questions and there's a bunch of other dope classes there too that's 100% free and you can join the community on discord as well Uh, the weekly download also where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 250 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month insane deal even the pirates on the internet think that this is a good deal that you should probably just pay for instead and uh, guest practices or you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute just like all of us have and your engineering game will go through the absolute ceiling when you do this uh, alright y'all till next week have a beautiful time peace out and peace among worlds I like it <laughs>